Welcome to the Masterlink podcast with James and Stefan. Getting to know creatives in the music industry. Available on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. If you like our podcast, you can support us on patreon.com forward slash the Masterlink sessions. You can watch all of our previous music videos by visiting masterlinksessions.com. Or you could simply buy us a coffee from buymeacoffee.com forward slash masterlink. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Masterlink podcast. My name's James. Hey, it's Stefan here. And today we'll present you with the second half of our season one roundup. We didn't want to have to stay our welcome. So we split the whole season one into two. James is laughing. Unbelievable. First up, we have session guitarist and producer Simon Johnson. Any kind of constraint on a project can often lead to more of a creative attitude. You know, you have to make do with whatever you have to record with. Yeah, I can still, my first setup, I had two mics, I think, and you have to record drums with two mics. And I still listen to them now and they, I think, well, there's something cool there because you, uh-huh. you're really restricted as to what you could do. Um, but yeah, no, I mean, obviously, it's I made technology is amazing. It's amazing we can have do what we're doing now. And it's, you know, I did some baritone for you guys the other day and it was, it was yeah. great fun. And, yeah, but, yeah. and it's great, you know, to be able to do that from home and, um, but no, always to get the band together. And, you know, and it's exciting also. So I'm thinking about what musicians are going to work well for this and let's get the right people together. I mm. love it. Because you yeah. just, particularly on that day, you're just going to, you'll never, you'll never create that again, that moment in that day. That's it. Mm. You capture yes. the moment in time. Record producer and studio owner, Clovis Phillips. I just really love songs. Um, and I really like spending a lot of time getting um, the best out of a song, which can often mean not putting very much on it because you, you really want to let a song be what it's going to be without throwing too much stuff at it. Mm. So often I'll put just a couple of things on a song and then and then step away from it, come back and think, right, is, is that working or do I need to put some more stuff on or, or take some more stuff away? Um, and I just kind of... I really love that process. So mostly um, they'll come in, we'll put down a guitar and vocal or something of the song, um, which may or may not be used even if if I want to change the arrangement around or something. Mm-hmm. But we'll put a kind of scratch guitar and vocal down and then we'll just have a good discussion as to what they think might work on the song and what I can kind of hear working on the song. Neoclassical and ambient artist Joel Pike. For me, my heart is definitely not ever to fit anything. I mean, um, that's where it would get very difficult if I was, uh, I really want to compose for film and for television, but also that would be a nightmare as well. So for me, it would have to be with someone who likes my music already and trusts the processes that I use, which are extremely experimental. And um, as I was saying about noodling, something that we didn't touch on is that um, nowadays the tracks that I've finish on have gone through months of noodling whereas before it may have been days right so now I just love to play and so the the studio that James was talking about that I'm in at the moment um, the sort of live room with loads of little instruments it's kind of just a playroom it's like it's like play school (laughs) 
Can you go through some of the instruments? Just, just so Texas guitar slinger, Carter Arrington. Hey, man. I guess Atlanta and Austin probably have their own regional identifiers. I mean, in terms of being an American playing in the UK, some things that I definitely noticed that were different at first were rhythm sections felt considerably different. I did notice that there's definitely, um, there's more of a European and more of a world influence in London. And um, it's something I, I, I was really impressed by. Like as I was kind of trying to get my feet wet and figure out all the stuff that was going on in town. I mean, I remember there was a string of like maybe a week to where I was just going out to shows every night. You know, I saw Galad Atman, the you know mm -hmm. Israeli tenor player who's, you know, a nutcase and that was uh, the Vortex and that band was killer. I saw like Malatu Asanke the same week, like the Ethiopian vibes player. And man, he had that he had this bass player that like made my head explode. This guy named uh Jonathan Edwards, which I think is like that might be like a TV medium in America. <laughs> Bassist and PhD student Nicholas J. Lockwood. Um, we were doing the gig and there was a particular section where we went into a, a, a salsa groove and I was just getting introduced to salsa grooves at that time. And um, I remember being on stage and everything's cooking and everything's like going really well. The energy's really high. And I just turn over to Cormac because I'm panicking because I'm like, where is the one? I've lost the one. I lost it like four bars ago. I have no idea where it is. So I just look at Cormac and say, where's the one? And he just looks and smiles at me and goes, yeah, it's great, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, great. I had no awesome. idea what I was saying to him. So. <laughs> and, um... Double bassist and jazz promoter Marion Wyndham. I play in a couple of double bass quartets as well, actually, which is quite a thing. Oh, yes. So oh. Four, four double basses. And that's, wow. that's fantastic. I really enjoy it because not only is it a hang with other double bass players who are, after all, the coolest players, people on the planet. Of course. But also, you don't often get a chance to play with other double basses unless you play an orchestra, in which case you're all playing the same part. So to have a chance to play with other basses and all of that intonation technique stuff that goes on when you play an instrument. To be able to sort of do that together with somebody else, it's just, it's great. Radio presenter, Roger McCormick. As I got older, I'd go to concerts at the Free Trade Hall by uh, people like the Dave Brubeck Quartet. Oh, uh, yes. And then later still, Simon, Simon and Garfunkel, and even the infamous Bob Dylan concert where someone shouted out Judas. Um, that was at the Free Trade Hall, and I was there, but it wasn't me who shouted it out. <laughs> Well, that's what you say. <laughs> <laughs> so did you get to see the Beatles? Bassist and label owner, Francis Hilton. The real advantage, well, two advantages. One, I've got perfect pitch. Ah. Um, so, and I didn't realise it. In fact, it was one of the reasons I ended up like, thinking, oh, maybe I should learn a musical instrument. A guy I was living with, um, uh, this drummer called Ian Elliott, moved just sat on the sofa and he started singing a song for some reason. Uh, that was on the radio at the time. And I was like, you're singing it wrong. I said, what do you mean you're singing it wrong? I said, well, you're, you're singing it in the wrong key. Said, How do you, I'm singing it in the wrong key. So I've got the record upstairs. Wanna, let's go upstairs. So we went upstairs and I was like, all right, you sang blah, and this is how it goes. And I sang it to him and I put the record on. I was like, right, okay, come, come downstairs. Come to my piano downstairs. Face that wall. Just face over there. And uh, what note's this? I was like, um, I don't know, this sounds like a black key. How do you know? Because my sister played piano, so I, was, I knew what the black key sounded like. Um, I was like, right, what's that? Oh, that's C. I know what C sounds like. It's like, mate, how, do you, how are you doing? You don't change. That was like the discovery. Producer and musician Andrew Kingslow. 
if we think about the the role of a producer, not the role, the description of a producer in the modern day, uh, it's not like George Martin. Quite often, it's someone that like makes beats in their bedroom and sells beats. They would say they're a producer of beats. For me, it's like, like you say, the broad church. It's a much more rounded approach to it. It's like taking a concept and and getting that concept to delivery point whether that whether that's you know mixed master delivered to the record company to a point where it can be kind of monetized as well i guess really you you know because the way we work in production you you're driven by targets and A&R people and record companies and so there's there's a slightly bigger responsibility for me i think also you know we end up as confidants we steer a boat without letting anyone know that we're actually steering it and they think they are we um, <laughs> Oh, I see. <laughs> you know, you, 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 it's like, you know, what, what do you say? What was that film? Inception. You, you put, you know, you create the ideas and let them grow in other people's minds. There's so many different ways of looking wow, at it. Wow, that is... I love oh, that. I love what you just said. <laughs> but it's true, isn't it? Because you can't, if you're doing your job really, really, really well, then no one knows you're doing your job. Session vocalists to the greats, including Jules Holland, Louise Claire Marshall... No, I. This, I mean, this is where I come into my own as well. Where, all right, what do you think of, um, of you know, singing hood, hood, you know? And I just, this is where I step in and go, right, do you want that, that, that? Let's go. Dip, ba, ba, So, all, all avenues are beautiful. Um, having the music there is great. Having your ears to just get on is, and is beautiful as well. I mean, we've done some work together, Stefan, recently, and where I was able to just let my my mind be free and just feel what with what the the sound is and the flavour, and then from experience and just go right. Well, that's it needs a unison here. Just needs th- either three people yeah. just sing in unison, which is as strong yeah. as three parts as well. Painter, graphic designer and airbrush master Mark Wilkinson. I started using the airbrush because I was, um, I was a huge fan of the Beatles' illustrated lyrics by the artist Alan Aldridge. And I'd never seen airbrush art before I got that book. But then I, I really went into it and learned about other artists like Michael English and Flip Castle um, and uh, decided to buy an airbrush because I was just um, entranced by the technique so, I mean, in those days, and I'm going back to 70s, early 70s, maybe. I mean, you could buy an airbrush for about 17 pounds. I mean, they're like, they're, they're ridiculous money now. It's at five, 600 pounds. But uh, they are a, a, an incredibly, um, they're a beautiful piece of equipment. They're very, very refined uh, piece of engineering. And when you use it, H.R. Geiger, said that it was like painting with light rather than paint. Vocalist, educator and human resources specialist, Jen Klempner. So it, it totally made sense. So we we, we parted ways really, um, really kind of amicably, but then, you know, haven't kept in touch again. And I never really processed what, uh, what it brought me to. And then, um, and continued not to process really the struggle and the impact on my mental health, I think for a large number of years. Um, and it perpetuated. Um, and I I stand back now and with what I've kind of been through there and then later in, in life with kind of my own struggles and um, and then literally every day I'm faced within higher education 
with a young creative person who is either really struggling with their mental health or has a mental illness. And they either have a diagnosed mental illness that they feel they can't talk about and it's hidden and it's like, and they often end up coming to me going, oh, thank goodness, it's okay to talk about these things. Like, it's not, you know, it's not like a shameful thing. Music department head, vocalist, dancer, funk DJ, Gemma Stoddard. I would be teaching them music theory and then I'd get my friends to come in and who are far better than I and say, right, okay, I've got a year to get this guy to be able to audition for music school or university. What can you do with him? Do you think it's possible? And then he would come in, do a bit of a recce and say, yes, on this amount of hours per week and in addition to his already school life. And to of those students that I was teaching during break and lunch, they ended up going to university to study music. Right. And so I went back to my headmaster, I said, look, please, could you now consider having music on the curriculum? Like, obviously it's not just something to fulfill cultural capital, which is a bit of a buzzword in education, mm. about, you know, children having these cultural experiences, which of course uh, is huge, but we've got kids who really want to make it their career. Mm. Please, can we have it on the curriculum? So they have some sort of foundation working up um and he said okay but only if you teach younger students at the time I was only teaching 15 to 19 year olds preparing them for university drum coach Mike Dolber from mikedolber.com all the bass bins all I need you to do is just the bass bins playing one and the three so you're going to go boom 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 and then I go right get ready just just with your right hand here it comes one two three and the whole thing would change and all the drummers would just be doing this or then I'd go right okay snare drums I want you all to put your hands up in the air cross your sticks and we're going to come up to it bass bins keep going one two three four and all of a sudden all the drummers so it looked like a well choreographed (laughs) and I I heard afterwards I mean I don't know how precise this was but I heard afterwards that apparently they reckon that the, the TV views has been something like four billion people have watched that opening ceremony Um, and you think that some of those people or maybe 50% of those people had never played exactly and it's live (laughs) and then we got I mean I even did things like when England came out and the music some of the music was great which Rick Smith had sorted all that out but I think when um, England came guitarist and artist Nicholas Meyer be yourself keep working on your voice that's it because you know at the end um, I mean, you, you can go on YouTube and so many incredible guitar players, and I'm fan of so many of them. You know, in every genre, there's a, there's always a guy who plays better than the other one and uh, technically faster or more clever. All this, and that that's great. And I, I think that's the, everybody's journey to push our, themselves. But at the end, you know, we all have our limits and. You got you got to tell a story. Music at the end is it's not a competition; it's a mm. storytelling, and uh, so so that's the most important. Um, wow, that is having a nice song, having wow. a nice story, improvising, touching people. You got to play for the audience, and and that's yeah, that's what I love the most. You know, you can be in a small bar with BBC radio presenter and author. Paul Sexton. Not distracted is the wrong word because this this stuff is so important. You know, I, it becomes a sort of focus of, of what I'm doing, and I I don't like it when other people are sort of talking over it um, because I think music is much too important for that. I don't want it to be in oh, in the background. You know, so that's the that's the starting point is wherever I might be uh, in the house or out and about. Um, 
it will be front and center uh, of it. And and then um, I don't know. I suppose instinct comes in somewhere, doesn't it? And you yeah. you you begin to you know. It's funny. Having yesterday, I was listening to a track by a new a new artist um, who I wasn't aware of, and I just it, it, there was something in. I mean, seriously, in the first five seconds of the track, there was a little change. I'm not a musician, so I'm going all... That's an important thing to mention as well. You know, I'm really doing this as a punter. Um, I'm probably the only music journalist ever who's not been in a band. (laughs) Vocalist and artist Gemma Dorsett. It's okay if it's the same as somebody else has done it. It doesn't have to be unique. It doesn't have to be... I don't have to reinvent the wheel. And I think I put that pressure on myself for such a long time, thinking that... Um, I can't do that. That's not who I am. That's not what I do. That's what other people do. That that's their thing. Um, so yeah, it just it just really it just really forced me to start doing going out of my comfort zone, really. Um, and even just writing nonsense. You know, I was learning all the different techniques. The Artist's Way, for example, is a fantastic book on how to do daily disciplines on you know just exercising that creative muscle. Um, mm. Than rather than making the decision, the incorrect decision that that's not me, that wasn't you know, I'm a corporate person or I'm a you know, um, that's just you know that's that's rock and roll. That's not who I am. But actually, it's nonsense. It's just it's all perception. So, artist, bassist, and multi instrumentalist, Jihad Darwish. Music's a small industry, isn't it? Ultimately, so like I think if you get to the point that. To kind of be working and being able to earn any sort of living, people just have to be good, right? Because it's so small and there's so many people that want to do it, isn't it? Mm-hmm. So then it becomes about what's your motivation. Yeah, like I was never massively into all the gear and getting all the endorsements and stuff. All I wanted was that Warwick endorsement and then I got it. I was like, yeah, you know, because <laughs> it's like a childhood realization. But people would be like, oh, what strings do you use? I'm like, don't know, I haven't changed Warwick. Or <laughs> yeah. well, you know, that thing of like, I don't own anything bigger than a two by 10. Cause I'm like, oh, yeah. if I go on a tour, they're just going to hire in backline. Yeah. If I go to gig, I don't need to turn up with anything bigger than that. Cause if it is, it'll be going for a PA, which doesn't matter. So do you know, there's this kind of thing. I was never like, um, but then I had the friends who were, and it's cool. So-and-so uses these strings and this and that and that. And it's like, you become a, a product in your own right. Don't you sometimes? Exemplary jazz guitarist and band leader, Nigel Price. I didn't know which way to turn, really, and, and it's the only time I wasn't freaking out is when I was playing the guitar. Oh, so, which mm. worked out just fine. <laughs> so yeah. I just used to, I mean, you know, forget the ten-hour days. This was just, this was just crazy. Like literally from the start of the day to the end of the day, just, wow. and you know, and, and and then you know, I kind of, I guess I've managed to turn it around because you know, you, when you when you put in that sort of time in, you, you start to see some really fast progress. And it just makes you feel good about everything, I think, you know, about your chances as a musician, I suppose. Because let's yeah, I mean, face it, yeah. actually making a living out of music these days is an absolute triumph, <laughs> you know? Well, it is, isn't it? Yep. You know? Oh, yeah, absolutely. And, yeah. I, you know, I mean, having having had the worst job in the world, you know, the notion that I can actually make a living out of playing the guitar was just, it was pie in the sky, really. You know, and and, and on, on the route to it, I, I, I had to get different... Fellow podcaster radio show host and funk fiend, Michael Bender. I just started going down this rabbit hole and going, God, there's so much great stuff out there. And funk music makes me feel good. 
Mm-hmm. And I was I was tired of listening to music that was always dragging me down. And mm. and again, I still have a, a, a big appreciation for that kind of, you know, acoustic country rock stuff. But so much of the lyrics are just sad. And I would put myself in that place emotionally and I was just tired of it. And so funk to me was like, oh, my God, all of a sudden there's this music that makes me feel good and I can listen to it all day long. And I feel just as good at five o'clock as I did at 8 a.m. Um, and, and that sort of spun off into the where the radio show happened and then, of course, the podcast. And so now I'm listening almost exclusively to funk these days and funk. Incredible vocalist and songwriter Eddie Smith. I definitely think that that risk exists, especially if you are playing in a band with perhaps everyone's got a different idea of where the sound's going to go. Like if one person thinks, oh, we're playing in a country band and another person thinks, oh, we're playing in a rock band, I don't know, you could butt heads. But then I think that if you are, and for the most part, I think that, you know, a lot of us like now do have the, the, the sort of the pleasure of, especially sort of this kind of far into our careers, playing with musicians that you know and trust I think that what makes a great musician is someone that can empathize with a songwriter or with a singer, and they can kind of gauge the direction that you want to take it. And sometimes, I mean, obviously you can just be like, yeah, I'll do whatever you want. You're the songwriter, you're the singer or whatever. Like I'll play what you want me to play. But also sometimes a little bit of, um, a little bit of sort of give and take and, uh, being challenged sometimes can actually lead to greater things. Like you were saying, Blues songstress Joanna Cook. For once, I'm just going to say it how it is. So it's, it's quite obvious what I'm talking about, a lot of struggles with mental health. And the EP's titled Kaleidoscope, it was originally going to be 10 tracks. I thought it was going to be an album, but it's kind of a snapshot of a lot of things that have happened to me, which have shaped who I am now and how I perceive life. And I guess that influences your decisions in life. And obviously we can break away from that, but... The kaleidoscope effect was that everybody that looks through their own lens can have a different view through that lens. And um, mm. so to answer your question, there's a lot about mental health and these songs generally help me through. And, and obviously other people have connected with that as well. And in this EP, I'm talking about addiction as well and things like sexual abuse as well and quite hard hitting um, subjects, which I think it's cool and fine for me to talk about because mm. we all should be talking about these things. Mm. Singer, guitarist and sideman to the greats, Mike Mayfield. It's interesting seeing the different artists' approach, especially the ones I've spent more time with. With, with Emily Sande, I've spent quite a bit of time with her on the road in the studio and she's an amazing writer, you know, pop writer. And the way she writes is she'll, she'll just have a track playing and then she'll just mumble over the top of it no words or anything and she'll slowly sort of shape that you know whereas um, there's another artist called Daly that I work with sort of soul R&B artist he's, he's, he's a lot more thought out you know with he wouldn't necessarily do a similar approach so with Emily's approach to writing I sort of took that on board because for me like I say it's always been a long process I always think of it sort of like being a carpenter where you've got a bit of wood and it's sort of like a block and you sort of chip away a bit and then slowly over time you're chiseling away and you're polishing it up and you know I guess that's just sort of more the Paul McCartney approach in some ways and so, sometimes where he writes he says you know it sort of takes a while for it to take shape I took on board some of those different approaches from from working with the different artists especially in terms of their writing that's always the thing that I'm really sort of honed in on you know 
Music Promoter, Agent, Manager and Consultant, Mark Eid. All the platforms are positives in many, many ways. But I think what I'm, what I'm saying to myself and this, this little conversation we're having is reminding me is that I'm spending far too much time on servicing those platforms, those mechanisms, which are useful, and I'm not knocking them, but I, and I'm, but I, I want to spend less time doing that and more time being innovative about how we interact with consumers face-to-face, -face, like whether that's, you know, inviting them down to a live stream or putting them on in the, putting great music on in the church or spending time with the artists to make great records. It, it's, I suppose it's just me kind of repositioning my, mm. my man hour effort and, and, and my thinking about things. And, and my measures of success, I think that's the key to it. Mm. What, are, what are our individual measures of success? Well, that's it, a good, yeah, there you go.